Hi, and welcome to this month's Dharma Things podcast. I have another wonderful guest this month with a lot of information about her world, her project, and hopefully, as always, it will be a little inspirational, a little, I don't know, maybe tear-jerking. Sometimes they're tear-jerking. Um, but basically, some short, bite-sized chats just to find out a little bit more about people that have had a lifelong journey to some wonderful state that they're in right now. So, um, an old friend of mine, Ruth Daniels, how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good given, you know, the world and the state of the world at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah. 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 It's nice to see you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, I think this is slowly turning into a collection of my old friends, um, this podcast, which is kind of nice because it's really nice. some really cool friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm honored to be considered one of your cool friends. Thank you for coming on. Um, and really, the reason that I wanted to talk to you, I actually decided upon it. If anybody's listening to this and, and notices the date on it, they'll know what's happening in the, the current state of, of global affairs at the moment. And I actually decided on speaking to you before we ended up in this in this position. So it's quite timely that we're here right now. Um but we'll come back to that. Um, tell us a little about you. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, where do I start? I guess um, I started out a long time ago involved in music. I've always been uh, a big music fan. And I, I was brought up in Manchester, um, where obviously a great, a great city of great musical heritage yeah. and very much influenced by the way things happen in Manchester. So, you know, there's, there's a kind of, there's a kind of, uh, I guess an ethos of getting things done and making things happen and also challenging the status quo. And, and it's, you know, a city that comes out of an industrial revolution and a city where I think people work really hard and, and people kind of make change in the city. We've had some amazing, amazing kind of leaders and change makers. So that's kind of been my inspiration, a bit of music and a bit of change making. And I think that combined being, you know, living in the North, um, has kind of taken me on a journey of, of just wanting to make change in the world, I guess, however I can. Um, and so I've been involved in, in kind of many different projects and organizations along the way. Um, but all of the work that I've done has been inspired and grounded in, in music and the power that music has to be able to galvanize people, bring people together, you know, to be able to create dialogue and conversation and to be able to kind of make change happen. So that's the kind of like fundamental kind of like beginnings for me. Um, my dad bought, bought me an electric guitar when I was 10 years old and um, I I was kind of, I, I didn't really want an electric guitar at that point, but I, <laughs> I, learned, I learned how to play it. And, and well, I your dad was a musician, wasn't he? No, he wasn't a musician, but he was just like the biggest music fan. Okay. He was like an encyclopedia of music. Um, you know, he I was brought up on Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa and, you know, from the age of like none, you know. And I think he 
played such an important role in teaching me about music. He was massively into, you know, American rhythm and blues and, and you know, like I just had this education of music throughout the whole of my life. And so when he brought me an electric guitar, I learned to play it. And then that just took me off into a different direction. I was probably right. never gonna go in if he hadn't have done that. And I, you know, I was in a band and for many years and, and just, I just loved the buzz of what music can do just in terms of, you know, live music, you know, creating parties, bringing people together. For me, it was just so much fun. And then, you know, kind of gradually understood how actually music can save people's lives, change people's lives, share messages and so on. So mm -hmm. I think that was really the beginnings for me. And it's just, it has music, has music making, music creation, being involved in music scenes, being involved in the music industry, has taken my life in, into quite an unexpected journey where I guess I'm learning new things all the time. And also, I don't know what my journey is gonna look like in a few years. It's very organic and kind of a very evolving journey. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of the roots of all of it, Manchester and music. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for people that haven't been involved in the music industry and don't really know a lot about it, it's quite um, a catalyst for social and political change. I'm reading a great book at the moment. I'm just going to grab it one sec. Um, I actually got it at a friend of ours, um, <laughs> John Robb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful John Robb. There's yeah. another one for people listening to look up. He's great. He came out of the punk scene in Manchester as well, but um, he runs um, Louder Than Words, which was the uh, literature festival, music literature festival. And I got this fantastic book called Sound System by a guy called Dave Randall. And it's all about the political yeah, power it. of music. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. It's, it's remarkable to me, you know, what, what music can do. I think I watched um, a film by Laurent Garnier recently at Manchester International Festival. And he talks about, you know, the dance floor being a place where, you know, activism can happen and ideas can be born and, you know, people can come together and organize themselves. And that's kind of what clubs do. That's what, you know, raves do. And I think, you know, that's what festival spaces do. They all offer a space where you can have alternative conversations, you know, you can plot, you can plan, you can organize. And I think that's it. You know, it's, it is sound systems are so political, you know, in terms of what they have the capacity to be able to do. And I think that's something that's kind of woven into all the work that we do is, is the power of music and, you know, theater, dance, street mm -hmm. art, to be able to almost spark conversations. It's yeah. funny because when we're thinking, you know, we're in this time when the world's again in, in, a, in a state of, of, of worry and chaos and conflict. And we think about how we can make change happen. You know, we and we sometimes feel quite small in all of it. You know, you think about the, the big powers and you think about, you watch the news and it seems so far away from anything that you can influence. And then this guy said to me, one of my friends who's a creative activist, again, another person to look up, Dan Glass. Uh, he's a creative activist from London. And he said, you know, change comes from making your neighbor a cup of tea. And I think it's really true. It's, it's kind of, change is all about conversation, about people coming together with a shared passion and a shared concern. And so making your neighbor a cup of tea, or 
creating a space where people can have a conversation or bringing yeah. together people who have a passion. And I think, you know, arts and creativity is a really good magnet to kind of bring people in, you know, and I think that's yeah. it. It's so powerful exactly. in that respect. And so this that you're talking about now is where you are currently and have been for quite a while. Um, you're not you're not making your own music. I don't know, are you? But um, you're not making music festivals, which is where we met when you were doing music festivals in Salford and I was in Manchester and you did Unconvention. But now you've moved on and everything's grown into this more activism um, state with In Place of War. So fill us in on what that is. So, I mean, just to slightly rewind, I guess, I mean, with Unconvention, I think that was the beginning of this journey. So mm -hmm. Unconvention was all about creating a, a music event that was kind of alternative and responding to people at the grassroots and independent level, making music and understanding how they can do things together, do things for themselves without relying on the major music industry, which at that point was becoming something different. Digital technology would come in and, you know, people were kind of having to sort of rebuild what the music infrastructure looked like. And we started that in Salford and it took, it took us all over the world, but it was when we got to Colombia to a place called Medellin, where things really shifted for me. We were in a community where people were using hip hop to essentially to take people away from gangs or give people other options than being in gangs and cartels in, in, in Medellin. And this guy said to me, if it wasn't for hip hop, he'd be dead. And for me, it was kind of like, wow, that's, that's really profound. Like hip hop yeah. saved your life. And what I was really interested in how, why, and so on. And what it transpired is in this city, you know, where there's a lot of conflict for, for young men in the city, the life expectancy was 21 years old, if you were from no one way. of the communities. And in oh, the years goodness. between, I think 1984 and 1990, 40,000 young people were murdered in the city. So you're talking about, you know, you know, your outlook as a young person is limited in that place. And so really it was about shifting that and, and the, the young people there were inspired by hip hop in New York and the change that that had brought about. And mm -hmm. they simply started a hip hop movement there. And basically started out with, you know, people break dancing on the streets and then it turned into kind of rap and graffiti. And now across the city, you know, you can't really go to any community across any of the neighborhoods and not experience hip hop. And it literally is the mechanism to take people out of gangs and give them another, give them other opportunities, you know, to give them more positive communities around what they do. And the magnet into that is hip hop. Because with hip hop, you don't need really any money to make it. You can just mm -hmm. use, you know, your voice. Yeah. And also with hip hop, you can still be like it's almost like being in a gang without being violent. So you can still say what you want to say and you can still be, I guess, if you know, if as, as a man, you can still be a man, you can, you can still be, you know, kind of macho within all of that, if that's what you want to be, but you don't necessarily pick up a gun or you don't, you know, it's not about being violent. So yeah. that sort of witnessing all of that over the years and seeing that the transformative nature of that, I then met a professor at University of Manchester, Professor James Thompson, and he was he had a project called In Place of War, uh, which was a big research project looking at the impact of theatre in places of conflict. And then really the question in this research project was, do people make art when bombs are dropping on their heads? And if they do, why is art so, so important that we make it at the most challenging times that we face as human beings? And 
we sort of, we, we combined forces essentially. We combined the theatre with the music stuff that I was doing with Unconvention. And, you know, In Place of War became this kind of organisation working across the world, working with arts and creativity as a tool for positive social change. So now today, fast forward 18 years later, which is how long I've been. That long? For, I know, yeah. 18 years later, and In Place of War now, we... We are basically a charity. We exist in the US, UK and Ireland, but we work in Africa, Latin America, in the Middle East and Asia. And we basically work with a network of 130 change maker organizations who are working, you know, in the most challenging context of conflict around the world. They're working in war zones, they're working in gang affected communities, and they're using arts and creativity and entrepreneurship to make ch lasting change in their communities on their own terms. And yeah. basically, we help to support them to amplify the impact of what they do. So we do things like run education and entrepreneurial programs, helping people set up their own creative businesses. We build music studios and spaces. We work with the global music industry and we basically have every big music company sat around the table, helping providers with equipment, education, resources, funding to support the people we work with around the world. Um, we provide platforms for people with the most marginalized voices to tell their stories using music as a mechanism to do that. And we work primarily with female artists around the world. Yeah, we do loads and loads of projects and, and, mm -hmm. and programs. But the, 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 the essence of all of it is, you know, art is a great vehicle to, to make change, to have conversations. And that's kind of essentially the core of what we do, which doesn't yeah. sound that tangible. But it is the big. It's like the beginning kind of um, what's the word? Like the spark that then is the catalyst for such so much bigger things to happen. You know, yeah. we work with an organisation in Zimbabwe who work with um, who work with all sorts of different projects, and it's all about speaking out against political oppression in Zimbabwe. And you mm -hmm. know, they work with young people who go into parliament and document through social media what's happening and share that with other young people. They have a cultural space, they have music studios, and it's all about giving giving young people hope and opportunity. And that's kind of what runs through all of the work that we do across the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's many facets to having creativity in your life. Um, you know, on a on a physiological level, the vibrations of music do different things to your brain or the vibrations of anything do different things to your brain. So changing the sounds such a hippie thing to, to, to say, but changing the frequency of things that you're listening to and that you're engaging with has a deep physiological benefit. But then in different parts of your brain, opening your mind up to creativity, to creative expression, having an outlet for messages that yeah. are buried within you because of traumatic experiences. And then the structure of community of coming together with like-minded people. And not just creatively like-minded, but people who've been through the same experiences and the same trauma. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like like you said, the guy who is quoted on your website, actually, I think that's the one that really, really cut to my heart when he, he is, I read his quote about, you know, he'd probably be dead if it wasn't for hip hop. Yeah. And it was so simple and just really makes you think like, wow, okay. 
But that's it. I think it's those two things. I think there's there's, there's the kind of personal. There's the the, the the needing the need to express yourself, and and sometimes that's quite hard to do in in just saying how you feel. So being yeah. able to kind of express that through rhyme or through music or through art, visual art, through theatre, it almost gives you a kind of a protection. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing this guy in India and he was using puppets to talk about all these things that he faced in his community. And he said, it's okay because I can say whatever I want through the puppet because it's not me. And I just thought that's so clever. You know, it's like yeah. you have this, this kind of screen, it's like a mask, but you're able to really articulate, articulate what you actually think because you're like wearing this mask. And I think it's about that opportunity to be able to, to personally express yourself. But then when you do that, all of a sudden you start to migrate towards other people who are expressing themselves in that way and build a community around you. So it becomes amplified. And I think it's that community of care and support, like-minded people enjoying that way of communication through art. So whether it's going down to a, a poetry slam, a hip hop night, an electronic rave, like going to a rave, you know, going to watch some theater, all of a sudden you become connected to people who are thinking about the world in different ways and wanting to make change in different ways. And that then becomes really powerful. And that for me is then when a movement can start to happen, when you yeah. get all of these people, like almost then the collection of people who are thinking like this, who are kind of joining the dots and working together to then kind of really try and tackle some of the bigger challenges that we face in our, in our communities and in our, our, our world. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just, it's so super powerful. And this guy called Laurent, who's based in the Congo, he said, creativity can make you can make you dream you know it can make you dream a different a different world can make you see things in a different way and make you kind of envisage what a different future could look like yeah. using creative tools to to do that because it isn't yeah. that easy to just think oh well this is the answer because right now we face the multifaceted con you know co consequences of you know global wars you know uh refugee crises covid and healthcare crises or you know these these huge huge challenges we face climate change you know um but creativity starts to help you think about kind of what you could do on a personal level collectively to tackle those things mm -hmm. so yeah super powerful yeah and like you said giving people a channel out of whatever life they have had because i imagine that that living in an area like in colombia that is literally so riddled with gangs there are no options for people the like you, you said the life expectancy of young guys you know there's no other option they must live quite a blinkered lifestyle so projects like yours supporting the local organizations are giving people different options well, this is it. I mean, I think it's I think it's Colombia, but I also think, you know, and I think there's the situations there that are really challenging. But what's really interesting is most recently we brought our programs to the UK. So yeah. over the past year, we've just run a project called 100 Agents of Change, which is working with 100 of the most marginalized young people in the UK and giving them the, the opportunity to have a residency in which they understand the agency they have. They understand the power they have. They understand the creative mechanisms they can use to make change and then giving them kind of money, seed funding, etc., to go back to their communities to do that. And I think with anything, it's just kind of helping people understand that they don't need to settle for the status quo and they can actually, you know, they can make that change. Mm -hmm. I think a place like, <clears throat> like Colombia is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is challenging because 
Um, you know, you've got this kind of history of gangs and it is really the only option for, for young people in certain communities. But then once you start to kind of carve out alternatives, it, it just, everything becomes possible. And I think what's interesting to me is that in those conflict affected communities where we go and talk to, you know, gang leaders and all sorts of different members of those communities, they don't want it to be like that. They don't want it to be, you know, they don't want murders to happen in their community. They want their young people and their children to be safe. But it's kind of like, and it's almost like that conflict comes out of a necessity to survive. That's one of the things that we've heard time and time again. So it's, it's super complicated, but what we're finding is that, you know, art and creativity, music, you know, gives people that hope and that opportunity. Mm, yeah. And like you said, I mean, the same thing happens in England. There are, I've worked really briefly on different projects in disadvantaged communities where the industry has been ripped out of the area and kids don't go to school. They get jobs. It sounds Victorian, but um we were doing some work in Birkenhead, which had lost the shipbuilding industry in the 80s through to the 90s. And, and um, doing creative and design projects there through youth improvement programs and stuff. And just giving these kids a bit of direction. It's not a war-torn area by any stretch, you know, but, but they're still living in that mindset where there is nothing. There is no future. The family started to fall apart. Nobody's got a job. There's no investment in the area. What are we going to yeah. do? What is our life? Yeah. You know? And giving them a little bit of not only an outlet, but a bit of hope that they could be something and do something that wasn't reliant on them sitting in school necessarily. I mean, it was nice to direct them to go back to that, of course. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting seeing the change in, in them when they'd done these projects, the kind of light that came from inside them, really. That's it. And I think a lot of the time it's about hope. I think when you when you feel like there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing there's, you don't have any power, you don't have any agency. You're just basically, you know, in a situation where you feel you can't make any change. I think it's all about having some kind of possibility that you can, even if it's not immediate. And I yeah. think, you know, giving people tools, connections, new networks, positive role models, all of that, all of a sudden, I mean, I think one of the most basic things for me is just someone having a mentor, you know, someone they can mm -hmm. bounce ideas off. A lot of the young people that we work with, you know, they've sort of been written off in school and therefore they're not, you know, they're written off in terms of jobs, etc when you start to chat to them all they've ever needed really is someone who gets them and can listen and can kind yeah. of go hey do you know what you've got a lot of promise there and just gives them that encouragement and that yeah. is, it is really that simple and so yeah. I think you know it's about it's about hope I think you know where you've got avenues where you feel like you're building something it's exciting and you see that you do you see that spark in people and it's amazing it's absolutely yeah. amazing definitely what does it like well, I'm going to make you sound a little like a military organization now what does it take for you to move into an area to help <laughs> like so, yeah you can do you know you, you you're in in place of war and there's been different types of war gang war street war or actual like political yeah. governmental conflict so what does it take for you to then go in and and work with the local organizations and it's local organizations that you work with isn't it you're not dealing with it's not a government provoked thing. oh no no so we just work with like the most grassroots organizations so we're not working even with like 
international NGOs. We're working with local people, small organisations that um, struggle to receive any funding. These are like people right in the kind of epicentre of the communities, people who live there, they are from there, they obviously speak the languages, they have the connections. So that's, that's the kind of nature of the types of organisation that we work with. How do we go in? Well, we it's basically been a, a process of kind of recommendations. So we started with research. So we started connecting to people. We started going to connect and mobilize people, bring people together. Then we understood what we could do to help benefit those organizations. And then they'd say like, well, do you want to meet this guy in this country or this woman in this country? She's doing something similar. So we started out with maybe, you know, a handful of connections around the world and we've grown that now to 130 across 26 countries. People that we work with on different scales at different times, depending on what's needed. You know, we're always looking to connect. So at the moment we're doing a big drive until until what's happened in the past few days. Um, we've been doing a big drive around connecting in the States and actually starting to take our work from what we call the global south, which is Africa, Latin America, the Middle East and Asia to the global north. So working in the UK, inspired by what we've been doing over the past year, looking to now expand our next networks in places like Detroit. So for us, it's about really about kind of, yeah, recommendation connections that happen very organically and evolve, you know, very much kind of at their own pace. And then we sort of just do an analysis on what the need is and, and then sort of understand what we can do, whether we can do anything, whether we can be useful, and then start to work with people on that scale. But what, one of the most powerful tools that we have is that we connect all of the change makers that we work with across the world. We have a really active WhatsApp group. We're constantly posting opportunities. They're constantly speaking to each other. And the thing for us was never the idea that we have, you know, the knowledge, we have the answers, you know, or we, we even have the ideas. It was all about how can we connect really inspiring people around the world so that they can share with each other and they can kind of grow together. So that's one of the biggest things that we, you know, the most powerful tools that we have. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, so it's not just about the projects that are going on in a specific area. You, as the kind of umbrella to all this, are actually putting the networks in place for them all to speak to one another across the world. That's it, exactly. So like, for example, to give you a sort of tangible kind of what things, you know, what, how, how we work. So we were, we were doing a big project in Zimbabwe and we were invited to a community called Lavender Hill in Cape Town, South Africa. We took over a group of our change makers from places like the, Brazil. We took over someone from Black Lives Matter in the States. We took over a bunch of people to the community in Lavender Hill. This is a community that were forcibly removed uh, from their homes during apartheid uh, to a kind of quite a desolate part of Cape Town, uh, sort of almost behind Cape Town in what looks like a desert. There's not really any opportunity. There's not there's no transport links. So people there were left to kind of just kind of fend for themselves with no jobs. It's turned into a gang affected community with a really high, um, kind of drug addiction uh, intake. There's lots and lots of children. And basically there are four gangs and there are murders almost every few days there. And it's, it's absolutely tragic. Right. So we were invited out there to see what we could do. We, we're big believers in creating spaces in communities that engage people in creativity. And that's what people there wanted. So then we've spent the past few years fundraising uh, for that, working with our change makers across the world to help influence what that looks like. It's gonna be um, a huge space built on an area of land that was used in the community 
where the four gang leaders could come together as neutral in a neutral territory, a small okay. circle where yeah. they can negotiate with each other with each other. We've increased that circle, so it's a huge, huge space. Um and we're putting a performance area, music studios, um, a community kitchen, a tattoo center, because there's a big culture of tattooing in the community. <laughs> um and so people can kind of make a living from the creativity that's happening in the community. Yeah. And that's kind of being built now. So that's kind of what a kind of tangible project would look like. We sort of work with the community to help them manifest what they want to see and then we connect that community with all the other spaces that we work with around the world so that yeah. they've got people they can bounce their ideas off they can say hey you know how do you evaluate your impact or how do you understand how to deal with this situation and they can have people from Colombia or Brazil or you know Uganda talking to them about how they do it so it's about it's about kind of really just kind of getting things moving and, and using the the kind of resources that we have and the people that we can access to to kind of make that process happen quicker essentially mm. um yeah it must be quite mind-blowing for somebody who's been in that situation in south africa who's been through apartheid who's lost the home who's seen their friends murdered whose life has been dragged into gang warfare to suddenly be part of a project where they're talking to people in a hundred different countries who are doing what they do and feel the same passion that they feel. That must be completely mind blowing for them. I think so. I mean, I think it's, I think it's that thing about hope again and about connection. Yeah and about you know sometimes it's really interesting speaking to people over the past few weeks in Detroit I've been connected there there's a sense that people feel they've been left behind in Detroit I mean I don't know I've learned over the past few weeks Detroit is the most segregated metropolitan city in the world so it's that feeling okay. of segregation that feeling of being left behind and then as soon as you start to build links how excited people are like oh my gosh you know we get to connect with all these people around the world it's exciting for people in detroit it's exciting for the guys that we work with i guess anywhere and it's the people that we work with are so inspiring you know against all odds we work with a guy that goes to work with um, a bulletproof vest on every day in colombia because you know the gang leads want to you know he's, his life is under threat and he still turns up at work in his music space every single day we work with a guy in the north of uganda who makes a, a hip-hop agribusiness so he has a farm and him and 15 hip hop artists work on this farm every day. And the profit they make from the produce they sell enables them to go to the local prison where they deliver workshops, which means that local prisoners don't end up reoffending. There's all of these incredibly inspiring people who are doing things with what they have around them. So to be able to be connected to them and go, hey, like that's, that's amazing. That's an amazing way of doing something. I'm gonna now try and do that in my community. Yeah. So for example, we work with a, a space in, in Caracas, in Venezuela, which is made out of converted shipping containers. And it was one of the first spaces to do that in the world. We were so inspired by that. So we started sharing what they were doing around the network. There's now a space in Zimbabwe that's been created out of shipping containers inspired by that. The space in, in Lavender Hill in Cape Town is going to be made out of, is being made out of converted shipping containers. So for me, it's all about kind of that sharing of innovation and sharing of ideas. Mm -hmm. It's just so, so inspiring. 
And that's so easy, really, isn't it? Making something out of shipping containers. I mean, okay, to the normal person on the street, a shipping container isn't readily available, but it's not that hard a thing to get your hands on. We got some in Manchester for a project to convert them. They've done it in kids' play box that would travel around um, the poorer areas and it was full of kids' toys and they would do art projects and stuff like that. So a shipping container isn't that, hard a thing to do it's not like building a huge building we're, shi- we're shipping stuff all over the world all the time so they're there they're readily available they're inexpensive and they're so flexible in terms of what you can do with them you know the yeah. project in venezuela there was an architect who worked on it and like the you know met, put, pushing two shipping con- containers together creating these huge windows when you were inside the shipping container you didn't feel like you were inside a shipping container it's remarkable but that's yeah. it i think it's you know sharing these ways of doing things and and you know sort of strengthening what we can do at a, a kind of grassroots level but on a global scale yeah it's really exciting and even though you're a global organization i mean i i guess some people could be misled into thinking that you're what what in the marketing world we used to call like a parachute organization that would just go in do some stuff with some people try and make everything be wonderful and then leave and that's really not how you work it's pure consultation isn't it it's complete it's co-creation consultation i mean we've been we've been doing this for a long time and the people that we've been working with most of them we've been working with for over 15 years Mm um we I think we have a lot of respect in the world. We 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 deliver what we say we're going to deliver. We never make promises we can't keep, and we co-create with people. You know, we're really honest about what we can do and what we can't do. Um, and I think recently we've been bringing in a lot of bigger companies across the music industry. We work with a lot of music equipment manufacturers. We work with music platforms, huge music music platforms, and looking at what we can build together. And really, you know, I think it is always a a co-created process. It's never as assuming anything because we're not, you know, I'm not from there. I don't think you can ever understand the dynamic of what it is to be in a community unless you're from there. Even a community on my doorstep near where I live, if you're not from there, you don't know how it works. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's so super complicated. So for me, it's always about working with those experts that are from those communities that can sort of, you know, understand galvanize people deliver programs that are really impactful so that's it and we 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 want to have a long-term relationship with organizations we work with so we we keep that conversation going even if you know right now we might not be working in x country actively they're still part of the network we're still talking to them you know mm-hmm. trying to kind of like galvanize support you know particularly yeah. where it's needed and needs to be directed yeah amazing what is your favorite project um Oh my gosh, there's so many. I, mean, I think I think one of the ones that I really, really loved was um, in South Africa and it was in Johannesburg and we made a, a space, well, we helped to co-create a space in Soweto um, in a place called Orlando West. And the space was a dis- disused electronic shop. And we help, we do, we mobilize music equipment. We train people in how to use it. And we basically took over about a hundred and, 50 grand's worth of equipment. We trained people in how to use it. We had Ronnie Scott's, the jazz venue in London come out. They gave their desk, which has been in Ronnie Scott's for a million years. And it was like worth a huge amount of money. Uh, they trained people in how to use it. Um, we made a load of activism workshops. We run, ran our creative and social entrepreneurial training. We just had this whole kind of 
like program of work in quite a short space of time. And now, you know, even in the pandemic, they, they turned the space into a bakery, catering for the community during the really hard times of the pandemic. Now they're a kind of sustainable social enterprise. Um, they have music production, they have screen printing, they have a bakery, they have all of this creative activity happening in this one space. And it's just hugely impactful on the community. So it's programs like that, but we do, you know, all sorts of things. We have an event in Palestine called um, Palestine Music Expo that we're part of. And that again is about bringing the global music industry to Palestine to experience the incredible music talent that happens in Palestine and getting that music out to the world, getting the Palestinian kind of messages out to the world. And again, you know, that's been a hugely powerful project that, you know, has been a pleasure to work work for on over the years. And, it, you know, there's just so many, so many projects. It's hard to pick. It's hard to yeah. pick. And um, being your... It's very informative. This is wonderful. It's very informative. But coming back to you personally, um, being your Facebook friend, I see various <laughs> updates from you when you're off gallivanting around the world on your funny adventures, in your, <laughs> little, your little tour van that you got, your little um, oh, yeah. <laughs> van and various different things. And I just had a thought about going over some kind of funny anecdotes that that things that have happened to you I remember one and I don't know why this one sticks in my mind oh god um, I'm nervous okay <laughs> you got stuck on an escalator and your jumper set on fire or something oh my god there's probably even, been so I many that you remember. can't remember <laughs> I mean there are just so many like crazy situations I mean I think the yeah. biggest the biggest one for me was that I decided, you know, just as an as a side project, I just thought I'll I'll become a DJ. Um, years ago when I was in Nepal on a project, and I oh, and I remember just <laughs> I remember just speaking to this guy that was just somehow involved in the project the project that we were there to work on, and I sort of said, hey, I'm I'm a DJ, I'm I'm really famous in <laughs> Manchester, and he said, cool, okay, well I own the biggest club here. Uh, you so weren't you? Huh. Well, who, who was it that you were with? Were you with? Um, I was with. Alex? I was with a girl called Alex. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she was. She wasn't there yet. I, I kind of done this when she was on her way. And when she arrived, I just said, "Alex, you know, we, we're going to be DJs tomorrow." And we turned up in this club, and um, and it, you know, we walked in, and our our DJ name that we just thought of was a, across the screen. Um, and we were there with Martina Topley Bird, who sings with Tricky, and we'd kind of like blagged her into singing with us. And um, it was, and it was, it was really, and we DJed with an iPod and it, <laughs> and it wasn't even really proper DJing. And then from there, we just, we just DJed everywhere. We DJed at Glastonbury in like the main dance tent. We DJed, <laughs> we DJed literally, you name it. We've D DJed in Ramallah in Palestine, DJed in Bukavu in the Congo. But you know, like it became... And Shrebrenica, you know, DJed all over the place, but it actually became a really amazing way of like sharing the music that we were finding around the world, bringing people together, just having right. a really, having a really, really good time. And again, shows the power of music just to yeah, you know, yeah, galvanize yeah. people. Um, and so what was your name? What was it that you called yourselves? I've forgotten. We called ourselves Mullet Bitch. 
Mullet bitch, that was it. It's funny because in the pandemic, I've actually learned properly how to DJ now. And so, uh, yeah, and it's, it may, I get more nervous now, I think, that I know actually, actually know how to do it than I did when I didn't really right. know what I was doing. But I think that was it. It was just the fun of like, I like the idea of like putting yourself under a bit of pressure and also, you know, just, just put yourself out, outside of your comfort zone. Um, yeah, yeah. That was one of the biggest things. But yeah, I mean, all sorts of situations all over the world. I mean, there's just so, so many kind of weird, you know, oh, you find yourself in this situation where everything, you know, we were like held at gunpoint in the Congo um, by a load of guys in their underpants. You know, it's like it, it just stuff happens and it's kind of, okay, that's weird. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess you sort of like get used to it. And it's weird asking that question because it takes me back to when I actually was traveling and I haven't I haven't been away for two years um, mm. on, on a In Place of War kind of trip. Um, and we're starting all of that back up again. So I hope that I'll have some more stories, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think anything was ever as crazy as like going to a techno techno rave in Ramallah in Palestine which I never thought I'd ever do but like the the, the madness that I witnessed in that <laughs> in that situation it was just so right. great um there is yeah. some great I've heard some great um rappers come out of Palestine yeah actually. the music yeah. is like the music is incredible it's just yeah. so so good yeah I mean um, he, um yeah I can't remember where he's from but we saw him in Bradford um, and I've subsequently, you know, become aware of various different rappers from Palestine and there's some great music comes out of Palestine. Oh yeah, there's some incredible music that comes out of Palestine. It's like, it's just, yeah, of all genres. But mm -hmm. yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it'll be nice to start the adventures again. You know, I think, uh, yeah, it's yeah. been a long time. I mean, one of the adventures that we actually had, and I can, I can fully vouch for like the weirdness that just, that Ruth just attracts, <laughs> just attract weirdness. When we were in Spain, we were in Barcelona for Primavera. We hadn't even yeah. gone together, but we knew that we were we were both there with our groups of yeah. friends who all knew one another and somehow ended up on stage with the Buzzcocks. I mean, yeah, I think I need to write all of this stuff down. I know that was your idea as well, which I really respect. Was you. it? Oh my God. Yeah, we made it. We made a concert um, yeah. just in a small bar and we had um, Pete Shelley and we had Martin Atkins, who's played yeah. with, you know, Public Image Limited and Nine Inch Nails. And it was amazing. And we did backing vocals, which was yeah. a highlight. Um, I think it's that thing about never, never saying no. You've always got yeah, to say yeah. yeah. If something comes your way, even no matter how nervous you are, you've got to do it. You only live once. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that ethos is something that I definitely, definitely, you know, love. I love that, you know, you yeah, yeah. amazing experiences. It's fantastic. And I mean, every time I hear that Buzzcocks song now, <laughs> I've got the yeah. images flashing through my mind of being on stage completely unprepared trying to sing harmonies we'd been practicing in the toilet, in the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> with my spanish friend trying to direct us and like oh my goodness it was just bizarre but it wonderful bonkers, but it was brilliant yeah and yeah that's it I, I mean i remember once being in india and uh, we were in this kind of in delhi a load of people from the music industry and i it was like this kind of club and and i i just said to the guys i was like i'm gonna it's gonna go downstairs and have a little wander around and then apparently they were like where's ruth she's been gone for ages and they came <laughs> downstairs and i was djing on like in the main dj booth playing all these tunes and they just sort of stood there and they were like 
I mean, she's been gone a while, but <laughs> but you know how she's done that. Um, and that was that was it. That was the thing. Just like okay, let's just let's just make stuff happen. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I guess when you're working with these grassroots organisations, you're not being you're not being flown in and and sent to some big hotel in a limousine. You are okay. out there in the communities, meeting perfectly normal people and doing the things that could happen to you if you're in Manchester and you're out with your sister or whatever, and you go to a, yeah. a regular bar there or whatever. That's it for me. The life and the the soul of a place is in its communities. So why would I want to stay in a five star hotel everywhere? You know, you want to stay in those communities. You want to connect with people. For me, you know, you end up in just the most interesting situations. I remember going to Rio and being invited to go to a community called Hosinia, which is a, a big favela and being invited to a Bali funk rave, which is kind of like crazy electronic music. And it was in an underground car park and we turned up and I was just like, what is this is insane like it's just amazing and it was you know it was brilliant and unless you know unless you go to those places you're only going to experience what you experience in anywhere that you stay in five-star hotels you know yeah. you've got to put yourself in those communities and, and that's really where you understand the culture understand the people you know mm -hmm. and also sort of see the vibrance you know that that is that is in the world the best people the best places are always in the kind of community settings in a city yeah, yeah. I mean, my final question is to people sometimes, what is your favorite thing about what you do, about what you bring to the world? But I think you've kind of covered that from the moment we started speaking. <laughs> you know. um, yeah. I mean, I love I love what I do. It's, uh, it's challenging at times and it's complicated and it isn't, as we've just spoken about all these amazing things, most of the time I'm sat on my ass on a computer doing <laughs> spreadsheets and emails. Like that is 98% of my life is right. that. So, you know, for all of the kind of, you know, the, but then it is rewarded just being able to see some of the most fantastic people and constantly being inspired by them to make, you know, me and my team, a, an all women team, you know, get up every day and, and do what they do in such a brilliant way and support, you know, those awesome, awesome individuals all around the world and their communities. So mm -hmm. I think for me, the thing that gives me the fire is, is, is other people who have that energy as well and it's infectious and that's it. And you do have an amazing team. And is it intentionally all women? I mean, I know I worked with you on something when we did some yeah. International Women's Day stuff, but is it intentionally yeah, yeah. all women or is it just a fluke? No, no. Your best friend and your sister are actually quite inspirational. Women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? So it's my best mate from school, Teresa, and my sister works with us. And then we've got, you know, we've got Emma and we've got Ros and Keely and Grace and Alison and... It is it is a, a an incredible team and it just so happens to be women. Um mm. but I think there's something about, you know, the the I don't know, the the drive that they have um and the amount of shit that they can get done in a day, you know, it's it's is it is absolutely inspiring and, and it so we're we're a tiny team, so we need that, you know, to, to kind of mm. get by. But yeah, it's it's amazing. I think there's an an energy with women, there's no competition, we all are able to input there's no like, you know, I've been in the organization a long time, but I respect everybody's opinion. And, and there's a sense of kind of like, we just want the greater, you know, the greater good of the whole, mm -hmm. rather than like egos or, you know, showing off or whatever. It's like, literally, this is in place of war when we exist to support other people. So there's no ego in it, you know, and I think that's really important. Precisely. Ruth, thank you so 
much. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. Go and get yourself a cup of tea. You've given us so much information. Um, I will, as always, make sure that our little, little Instagram profile connects with Ruth's project. And um, the website has got loads of different ways that you can get involved and in more inspiring information about the people and the projects. There's videos, there's quotes. You've even got Desmond Tutu on there. Now he was quite a guy. Um, but um, yeah, Ruth, thank you. Thank you so much, Miss. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any questions or comments, as always, let me know. And tune in next month. I'll have another probably another one of my friends to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.